Engage Sessions. The NSR Media Network presents Sessions, bringing you behind the scenes and into the lives of your favorite music artists. And now, here's your host, Barry Davis. Oh yes, we have one of your favorite music artists who didn't love the Go-Go's. And we have a Go-Go coming up on the show today as we'll speak with bassist Kathy Valentine, who's written a tremendous book called All I Ever Wanted. And uh, you're going to be blown away when you hear this woman's story. <laughs> it is pretty earth-shattering, Tom. Yeah, this this book came completely out of left field for me. Uh, and like I... I, and I kind of mentioned it during the interview, but like I, I'd grown up with the Go-Go's as sort of the soundtrack to my, my early, early childhood, but I didn't know much about the band beyond them being, you know, big hit pop single sort of band. And um, when I started reading the book, she, you know, you get thrown in right off the deep end, right, right from the get-go. And it really took my expectations and kind of tossed them on their side. And, you know, there was so much more to the band, uh, so much credit that they didn't get that they really should have, you know, not just for being, you know, the the boundaries that they broke, but for being such talented players and hard rockers. And, uh, you know, it, the book is a tour de force and it really, it makes you see that whole era and that whole band in a completely different light. Well, let's hear a little bit of the Go-Go's, but it's not one that you hear all the time. This is brand new music from the Go-Go's. It's Club Zero here on Sessions. Tom, the Go Go's, uh, as you know, we're not going to get in too much to the band stuff. Well, definitely we have some band stuff when we talk to Kathy, but a lot of it mm-hmm. is of, of her uh, real compelling and unbelievable story uh, from the time that she was just a little girl. But um, so I want to take a little opportunity here to talk a little bit about not just the Go Go's, but, but women in music and really the influences that came from a woman by the name of Susie Quattro, who we'll talk about with Kathy. And uh, not a lot of people will know the name. Uh, if, you mm-hmm. watched, if you watched Happy Days in the 70s, you would know her because she played uh, Leather Tuscadero. But a huge influence on the Go-Go's. And then, of course, the Go-Go's influenced the Bengals. And then, you know, somewhere down the line, you know, all-female rock bands really didn't take off the way I, I hoped they would. And we'll talk to Kathy about that. But yeah. um, overall, I mean... The impact that the Go Go's had on the music scene, and not just for other female musicians, but for that overall '80s sound, I think they've got to be getting a lot of credit for that. Yeah, and it's funny because they're not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and they should be. They, they absolutely really should, be. should be. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a travesty because you're right; they're part of that the the sound of that decade. Hundred percent. Yeah, and and you know what. I wish we had more sounds like the decade of the 80s right now. We could use some of that happy, upbeat music. And, you know, it's great. We've had a lot of female musicians on this show over the last few mm-hmm. weeks. A lot of the young and up-and-comers like Villabin and Mauve and uh, help me with the other one that was on. Sea Magic. Sea yep. Magic, of course. How can I yep. forget Sea Magic? And 
and it's great that you know we have these young female artists that are you know getting into you know this and i would love to see an all-female group again i really think it'd be cool yeah and i think that's the key like you know all the female artists that we've had on it, it is amazing to see them work but it's something that that kathy kind of points out in her book and, uh, and we i believe we talk about it in the chat as well there's a difference between you know a female artist and a whole female band a group of girls getting together like the bangles like the go-go's and and that is something i can't even think of off the top of my head a current band that's out there doing that right now just a group of girls can you no well the beaches oh of course right here at home right right here at home uh i saw them open for glorious sons and they were phenomenal i want to get them on the show oh absolutely we'll, we'll, have, to yeah, send, yeah. we'll have to send out a, a a tweet to the beaches and let them know that kathy valentine of the go-go's is a fan that is a great idea yeah but getting back to the Hall of Fame argument, Tom, I think mm -hmm. you know, the only thing that might get thrown at them is, well, they they only had four studio albums. Okay? Yeah. Well, the police, I think, only had four or five studio albums. The cars didn't have very many studio albums. To me, it's not the quantity of what you are putting out. It is the quality of what you're putting out. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I, I don't understand. You know, if you're a one-album splash... But like that one album changed music forever. Yeah. Well, look at um, uh, it, Boston must be in the Hall of Fame, right? I don't know offhand. Um, I, yeah. I can look that up. But. I would. I would like to think they are. And again, you know, mm. they had two albums in the '70s, and they had a comeback album in the '80s. But really, most people know them for that that debut album, one of the best debut albums ever. So again, it's yeah, not absolutely. the quantity; it's the quality, and yep. not only great songs, but. Songs that have crossed so many different borders. I mean, I know my son knew uh, we got the beat when he was a little kid going to Wonderland and having it playing on, on uh, the Jimmy Neutron ride, right? Mm-hmm. So this is, this is a, a sound. And, and, you know, the interesting thing is you and I as musicians, as we prepared to do this conversation with Kathy, we started to listen to the songs a little more deeply, right? Yeah, yep. And wow, they don't get the credit they deserve. No. Um, Kathy is a bass player. I mean, again, just wow uh, how yeah. melodic those bass lines were. And I was, it, it's funny because, you know, that's again something we get into in this conversation. Uh, I was thrown aback because, you know, in the book she talks about her relationship with Stevie Ray Vaughan and Jimmy Vaughan. And when I asked her a question about some of her bass influences, and I was, I was assuming she was going to say Tommy Shannon. Because a lot of the stuff she does in the Bengals is really bluesy. It's walky. Um, you know, if you Google her online, you, she comes up time and time again as an underrated player that doesn't get the credit she deserves. Mm -hmm. But I think you could kind of throw that on the band in general. Um, you know, they, I don't know what it is about it. Maybe it was part of the bubblegum packaging of them. But, you know, it, it seems like it's still an uphill battle, even all these years later, all these hits later, all the success of their members afterwards. And people, for whatever reason, they just don't want to take them seriously. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what. <laughs> why don't we get right to it? Before we hear from Kathy Valentine of the Go-Go's, let's hear uh, probably the most popular song that Kathy wrote. And she wrote this on an airplane. 
This is Vacation here on Sessions. There are the Go-Go's here on Sessions, and uh, we are very pleased to be joined by one of the members of the Go-Go's and fantastic songwriter, incredible bass player, Kathy. It is such a pleasure to have you on, Kathy Valentine. And uh, Tom and I both just finished reading your book over the last week. And I think, Tom, you can agree with me that the first take that we both had when we finished reading it was, no, no, we want more. You can't just end it here. <laughs> It's like he yada 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 over the last ten years. It's like I want to know more. <laughs> yeah, I um, I I wanted it to have a fast pace, and I wanted it, uh, you know, to cover the arc that it covered. But I've I intended from the like once you get into going into everything, it becomes less of a memoir and more of an autobiography, mm -hmm. and that really wasn't what I wanted to write. So I. I'm a big admirer of several writers that have done different books, memoirs on different parts of their lives. Like Mary Carr is one of my favorite memoirists, Augustine Burroughs. Mm -hmm. So I thought, and these are literary memoirs, not music 
books. And I thought I'd be really interested in writing a second memoir that covers a, a very different story, very compelling, a lot of drama, a lot of excitement, a lot of cool things, but a different story altogether. And so I picked the story arc that seemed to make the most sense in terms of starting out one way, going through a lot of obstacles and uh, wonderful achievements, losing everything and ending up a very different changed person, which is kind of a classic storytelling arc. And that's what I chose to do. And um, uh, I would like to write another one. I don't know if that would be my next book, but definitely mm -hmm. in my future will be another one. So you can look forward to that with lots more. This is good. Mm -hmm. You know, Kathy, when, you know, this book uh, really knocked me uh, for a loop. And, you know, I'd been, uh, I, I was born in 78. So I grew up listening to the Go-Go's as part of my very early childhood. And, uh, you know, it, they, they were always a fun band. I saw the, you know, I saw you guys on the, you know, on the TV, on, on MTV or much music up here in Canada. And I had no idea what I was in store for when I started this book. Um, it's an absolute powerhouse. Um, it's, it's a memoir. Yeah. Um, about, about your time in music, but there's so much human story and drama and, and pain. Where did, where did you come up with the idea to say, finally, like, you know what, I'm going to put my story out there. And, well, you know, once you made that decision, where did you, how did, how did it come to be from that? Well, I've, I felt like I had a, a compelling story. You know, I've, I've, a lot of people, I mean, to me, the way I grew up was just the way it was. But, you know, over the years, I've, I have come, I had come to realize that I had a fairly untraditional and unconventional upbringing and that I also encountered some things that to me, it was just at the time, my life and, you know, just kind of getting through it. Um, and I think a lot of times in hindsight, we look back and go, oh my God, that was crazy, especially when you like compare stories uh, with, with friends and stuff. But I felt like I had a compelling story. I felt like uh, not only because of the success of the Go-Go's, um, but because of where I came from, there was a lot of, um, there was some darkness, you know, a lot of darkness and there was a lot of triumph over that and resilience. And I think that's an inspiring story to tell. And uh, I felt like, because I'm not a huge star. I mean, I'm not like, you know, I'm not, I'm not even the biggest person in the Go-Go's. I'm not, you know, I'm not a super well-known household name, which meant it couldn't just be like, I could just write, like somebody would just be interested because I'm a big celebrity. I knew it had to be well-written and I knew it had to be honest and and really uh, resonate with on a human level. So those were my, those were my goals was like, write the best book you can write, use everything you know from all, I've taken a lot of writing classes and creative writing. And um, I, you know, I've obviously been a songwriter for decades. So I thought I'm gonna use everything at my disposal in terms of writing talent, but I'm also gonna be uh, fearless in terms of what I tell because that's what's gonna make my reader feel connected to me. You know, not the fact that I was in the Go-Go's. That's a great part of the story. It's an interesting part. It's cool. I think people enjoy reading about that. But a bigger audience is reached if they can go, if they can see themselves sometimes. And I've had so many readers tell me that. Like, 
you know, feeling lost, you know, feeling like you uh, maybe you were just lucky, you know, that, you know, that people just told me different parts of the story. Like at the end, I'm talking about when I lose the band and I write about just feeling like maybe I didn't have it. Maybe I was just lucky. Maybe I was just in the right place at the right time. And that utter just like, what do I do with my life? Who am I? You know, a lot of people have had that happen, you know, you don't have to be in a band to feel that. And, you know, the feelings, I've had so many people tell me about their childhoods and their parents that weren't there for them to guide them. So I'm really proud of that. I'm really proud of the stuff I wasn't afraid to write about that res that resonated with readers, male and female. Well, you talk about resonating, Kathy. Um, so for over 20 years, I was part of the Toronto Blue Jays TV broadcast. So I got a chance to experience a lot of cool things. And once my career ended there, I decided I wanted to write a book of all the stories of the behind the scene things I got to see. But as I started writing, I felt the same way as you as, you know, I was just this, you know, talking head on TV. I don't know if I have a celebrity name that people are going to want to know uh, just about that. So as I'm starting yeah. to write, I realized, no, you know, I grew up in a home where my father was an alcoholic and I lost him when I was 20 and I never really had him. And I'm writing all this stuff going, you know, I think this might be more interesting to people. But here's where I want to ask you, for someone who has lived all that and now you relive it as you write it, what's the difference in feeling? Because I know for me, as I'm going through all this stuff a second time as I'm writing it, there are times where I'm feeling pain that I really didn't know that I should have been feeling pain for back then. Yeah, I was, it was very uh, healing for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, and there was times it was really painful, too. But with my relationship with my mom, you know, it was sometimes shocking because I would be writing about me at 14 and then I, I was, I'm a mom and my daughter might've been 14 at the time. So I'm like looking at my teenage years as I'm now a very different mom mm -hmm. than my mom was to a teenager having a very different experience of being parented and being a teenager than I had. So that was pretty wild. Um, but even as I'm looking and kind of in shock at my mom, like I even write in the book, the, the fun thing about writing is you can, you, you can put in your vantage mm -hmm. point now. It's not just like I'm in the, in the past. And I even wrote in the book, like I said to my mom, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? You were yeah. smoking pot with my friends. You know, I could have been taken away from you. I could have been put in um, foster care. You could have been put in jail. What were you thinking? So it was kind of cool to be able to deal in the present as I'm reliving that stuff in the past, thinking like looking at my daughter. But I'll say this, that I also felt like I got to see the things that my mom did well too, mm -hmm. which I think was important to, I mean, even with the book, I would say, I'm going to write about this. I'm going to write about you doing this, I'm gonna write about you doing that. And she'd say, well, you just do what you need to do. You know, you, she was, in other words, it was more important to her that I write the book I wanted to write than her look like the best mom in the world. And it really made me see that despite, she did love me and she might not have guided me or given me any boundaries or any, you know, kind of consequences or anything that kind of helps a child keep their um, bearings. Uh, she didn't give me any of that, but she gave me a lot of support. I mean, she never said, you can't, you can't be in a band. You can't play guitar. You can't, you know, you can't leave school where you're miserably unhappy. Let's figure mm -hmm. out, you know, she always tried to support me and make me 
you know, support what I wanted. Mm-hmm. That would be the one question that I kind of had because you, you, you do see that um, as much turmoil as there was, you know, in the, in the book, you don't come off as someone that grew up feeling insecure, feeling unsafe. Um, but, you know, going through this process and looking at your relationship with your daughter, um, is there anything that you look at and go, oh, I did, I did that exactly like my mom did with me or, wow, I, I'm doing that completely different than, than my mom did with me? Oh, is yeah, I'm sort of- a completely different mom, you know, than, than my mom was, completely different. But, you know, I, I, it's just we're, we're very different people, you know, my mom and I. And for all the, for all the lack of boundaries and guidance in a weird way, maybe that helped me think that anything was possible. Like if there's no rules and no boundaries, mm-hmm. why would you think, you know, there's a rule or boundary about making it in a band? I mean, it never occurred to me that I was going to fail. And I don't think that was because I was, you know, filled with confidence. I think it was because I just felt like there's no, there's no walls. You know what I mean? So I, I seem to have either an, a nature or a, a a survival instinct that forces me to kind of turn, turn something good out of something bad. I think I I see it all the time. I mean, in my life, I see it all the time. And I think that, I don't know why it is, why some, some people can have terrible circumstances, you know, be raised with um, alcoholic parents uh, and they can end up, you know, having it affect them in one way and somebody else can, it can just become a mm-hmm. strength, you know? So I don't know what, what causes that, but my, um, my overall sense was that it was my job to take care of myself. So pretty much that has driven me my whole life. And it took sobriety and losing everything and actually years and years of sobriety that goes on past the book before I realized that you know, um, realize that, that, that everything, when it's, when everything is about how do I survive? How do I survive? How do I take care of myself? Sometimes that can turn on you, you know, like with, you know, just, it can just turn on you because you get very like, you think you need this to, to be complete or whole. So you hold on so tight that maybe you smother it or, or, or something. Kathy, having lived on both sides of the addiction scale, now, as a mother, as, as someone who is sober, how would you react if you found out your daughter was was smoking pot or doing drugs or drinking or whatever uh, as she gets older? But even that, you know, the age she is now, and you think of what you were doing at that age, how would you react as a mom? Or do you know? Yeah. Well, it's funny. I, I just was talking to my daughter today, and I was actually thanking her for make being such like a well-balanced stable kid that's awesome what it would be i don't know what that's like to have that angst of having a, a you know a kid that's addicted or with an eating disorder or cutting or just all mm-hmm. these things that kids do to to deal with the stress and a school and social life and and whatnot and even in this pandemic she's been amazing she's just really stable but to answer your question i would I would just give, I'm, I just believe in giving people information. And I just think if you tell them and tell them what they can and can't do, they're going to do what they want to do anyway. So 
in my experience as a mom, she's always been really good at self-regulating. And if I just give her the information, it kind of is like planting a seed. Mm-hmm. Like I could just say like, you know, if you have too much sugar, it's bad for your immune system. It's bad for your skin. Uh, it's not healthy, you know, and I'll just see that in a few weeks, she'll start going, I think I'm going to have, you know, I'm going to stop getting this particular Starbucks because it's got too much sugar. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or something like that. I just feel so lucky that that's the big thing. <laughs> yeah. The sweet yeah, Starbucks sure. thing. But um, no, if it was like booze or something, I would just, I would just talk about, you know, drinking and driving and uh, what, what it's like to feel out of control and how you think you're funnier and you don't realize sometimes that you're loud and obnoxious and not as funny as you entertaining as you think you are. And is that how you want to be with around your friends? That's what I would probably say Mm -hmm. is just like, look out for that. Observe the people that drink too much. See, watch how they act and decide if that's what you would want to be. That's what I would do. Just a follow-up question. Uh, Does your daughter play the guitar? She does. She started teaching herself about a year and a half ago. doesn't really want, she learns from YouTube and every now and then she'll say, what do you think of this? Or do you think this is a good key for me to sing in? Or which sounds better this way? Or So every now and then she'll ask my opinion, but she doesn't ever ask me for like lessons or to show her how to do so. I did, I did help her with the bar chord. She was having trouble making a bar chord. And I, I finally said, put your, your wrist forward like that. Cause she was trying to do it like that. Mm. Yeah, and it yeah. had never occurred to her to put her wrist forward, and it was like, oh, now I see how people do it. Before that, she was like mystified. <laughs> have you ever? I remember that. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go now, ahead, have man. you ever had a chance to perform with your daughter? Get up on stage with her? No, but um, I just recorded a, one of the one of the songs on talk show that our fans love is "Beneath the Blue Sky," which is the mm. song I wrote with Jane and. A lot of fans say it's one of their favorite go-go songs and the go-go's never ever do it live. So, you know, in the pandemic, I'm kind of always just thinking of things to do. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, I think I'm gonna re-record Beneath the Blue Sky. And when I was doing it, I had the idea to ask Audrey, that's that's my daughter, if she wanted to come sing on it. So she sang the chorus. Oh, wow. I just released it a couple of weeks ago, but um, I'm working on a video because, I like making videos. I just learned in the pandemic how to do video <laughs> editing. And, uh, you know, it's just another way to get, like, if you can't go play in the clubs, you need to sometimes just putting a link to your band camp or something doesn't get people's attention. But mm-hmm. videos a lot of times do. So um, I've been enjoying, like, learning how to make videos. So I'm doing a video for Beneath the Blue Sky featuring me and Audrey, and it's awesome. super cool. How else has COVID uh, COVID been for you creatively? Have you been Have you been creating a lot of material or trying new things, or are we? I went back to, uh, went back to school. I've been um, uh-huh. I've been taking a writing class because I had a book deal for my memoir. I didn't have to write a book and then shop it around. They approached me. Have you thought of writing a memoir? I was like, Yeah, I've thought of writing a memoir, and I gave them. This is the University of Texas Press, who I really wanted to work with because they didn't want, they, they wanted my story. They didn't want, like a lot of publishers, 
I, I was told would like want me to like really spill the dirt and all this stuff. And they would really want it to be about the Go-Go's. And UT Press understood that I wanted to write a literary memoir. So I was really excited that they approached me and were talking to me. Um, but I wrote that book knowing it was gonna get published, which is a luxury. A lot mm -hmm. of writers have to write a book and then send it around and get rejected and you know over and over and over again. So I didn't have to do that. But to write another book, I will have to do that. And I was worried if I was gonna actually sit down and do it. So I thought, well, I'll take the writing class because that way at least I'll keep writing. And to be honest, I was three hours away from getting a degree. So oh, I'm, wow. going back, I'm going back in the spring and I'm graduating college with my first degree in May. And I think, I think I'm gonna be applying next month to graduate school because I love music. I'll always be a musician. I, it's, it's kind of wired into who I am. I'll always play in a band. I'll always make recordings. I love Pro Tools. I love making, I love recording. I love creating, but I don't know if I'll be able to make a living at it. So the idea of writing just seems like something you can do forever. I mean, I'll always play, but I thought, why not just go to graduate school and just keep getting better as a writer and I'll keep writing. I don't know if I, I don't know if I would just sit around and write another book if I didn't have a book deal. I might, I'll write, but I don't know if I would write a book. <laughs> Whereas in a, in a MFA program, you, most people end up with a book at the end of it. Right. Well, let's go back in time a little bit. And you mentioned about, you know, being a career musician. When I was a kid, I always watched, my favorite TV show was Happy Days. And there was a character on that show named Leather Tuscadero, played by Susie Quattro. And the first time I saw her on stage, I said, this is the coolest chick in the world, playing bass and singing, all dressed in leather. And I, I didn't even know a lot about her, her music at the time. And then I, I got the single, 45 Stumbling In, and I went, this, this woman is incredible. And this was really, Susie Quattro is the reason why you became who you became, isn't it? Yeah, I mean... I, I often think if there had been more visibility, if she'd been a bigger star, like she mm -hmm. was in England and Europe and Australia and America, I bet there would have been a lot of girls my age starting bands. You know, I just happened to be in England to see her. Uh, Joan Jett wouldn't be Joan Jett without yeah. Susie Quattro. Right. So I, I really owe a huge debt of gratitude to her. We are now friends and email and That's stuff. In fact, we, we wow. just set up a Zoom call, and she's—I mean, she's just recorded a Christmas single. It's, it's awesome. Really I saw the video you posted. It's—it's it's tremendous. I couldn't stop singing this thing after I heard it. It's so good, and she's seventy years old, wow. and just and still inspires me. And and uh, you know, I'm I'm just so grateful that I had that visit, and I'm glad that the Go Go's were that for a lot of people. And I think I use this word a lot. It's just visibility. It's just like you know, it's like kids, young girls that don't see, you know, software programming as, as something that women do, or they don't see, you know, see, it's like so important that there's TV shows and press and magazine articles featuring these women doing these things, because otherwise it doesn't really, it's not really pushed on you. And I think there would have been a lot more girls starting bands in the 60s and the 70s if they were aware of fanny i never heard of fanny even mm. though they were a pretty big band i yeah. think they had a top 40 hit 
and I'd never heard of them in Texas. They weren't, I didn't see them, you know, I didn't, they weren't, I didn't know anything about them. And even before them in the sixties, you know, Susie had the pleasure seekers and it just was a different time. There wasn't an internet, there wasn't a YouTube, you know, so if, if you weren't a big famous band, like, you know, T-Rex or the Stones or the, you know, how was anybody going to see you, you know, so. I'm there, surprised. There were bands. I'm surprised more bands didn't spawn off the Go-Go's. I mean, the Bangles were there, but other than that, yeah. I mean, were you expecting a lot more young girls to start forming bands and, and making this a big thing? Yeah, I, I did, and I still do, and I think that um, it surprises me. I do see a lot more women are musicians, sure. but I don't think they're really trying to start all-female bands, and maybe that's just because it's easier to find guys to play with. But, you know, everyone from Lizzie Hale to you know, Avril Lavigne to, you know, the Breeders to, you know, back in the 90s. I mean, there's been lots of, you know, Veruca Salt, lots of females starting bands, but not necessarily all female bands. I do like in Canada, the beaches. I love them. I saw them and live. They are phenomenal. They're so good. They're yeah. such good players and they, they have a, they have the right spirit and the right attitude and they're having a blast. Well, if you've and never I, if, you, if you've never listened to to Biff Naked, she's a good friend of ours, and you've got to check her out. She's awesome. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah send me a look. She was big in the '90s and uh, just really hard kind of hardcore music, but she's awesome. She's awesome. Sounds familiar. I think I've. So is that a a, a solo person yeah. or a band? No, that that's a solo yeah, solo, solo artist. She's yeah. uh, originally from Vancouver, and now she's living here I've in Toronto. I've heard of her. I just didn't know what yeah. what it was. Um, you know, it's funny, speaking of your influences, uh, you list a whole bunch of them uh, in, in the book, obviously, and, and it's some great people that have influenced you. Um, but as a bass player myself, um, I actually, I started on the guitar and then I went over to bass and now I kind of do both. But I, I noticed, you know, there's no bass players that are that are named in the book. There's no there's no one that you've put out there that's, that said, you know what, I heard this player and they just, they blew my, you know, blew my socks off um is there is there one bass player or two bass players out there that really influenced you well i never paid attention to bass i was a guitar player yeah. so I, I, yeah. I never thought about the bass even when i saw Susie quattro i wasn't thinking of her as a bass player i thought of her as a rock star mm -hmm. and yeah. uh, you know she was fronting the band the bass was secondary and all my heroes were were guitar players keith richards i loved I love Hendrix. I love, you know, so, and that's what my goal was to be the best female guitar player ever. You know, I never achieved that, but that was when I first started playing, I wanted to be up there in the Pantheon. I wanted to be the best female guitar player. Um, and then punk rock happened and I was like, well, maybe I don't need to woodshed for 12 hours a day. Maybe I can start doing this now. So punk rock influenced me and and then when I had an opportunity to join the Go-Go's as, as the bass player, I didn't, I, I just had to learn their songs. I wasn't like, oh, who, who will I play like? You know, I just used my musicality to guide me. And I think bass players that come out of guitar have a certain uh, sensibility and, and style that's different than bass players that just go to play bass. And, and uh, they both have their place, you know? Uh, you know, I couldn't ever do what Gail Ann Dorsey does. You know, I, I couldn't play like that. I couldn't do, I couldn't be Bootsy. I couldn't, but McCartney, mm -hmm. uh, I would say the, the bass lines McCartney does, not to put myself in the same league, 
but he came from guitar too. And I think there's a, a, a similar melodic sense. I could never be a, a John Entwistle or a Chris Squire. I couldn't, that's, that's like, but that that's would, not how. That wouldn't have worked with the Go-Go's anyways, right? It's like, it's like all the flack that Ringo always took as a drummer, but it's like, could you picture anyone else playing those songs other than Ringo Starr? I can't. Yeah, and I really was just about the songs. And, and to this day, I don't think of myself as a guitarist or a bass. I just think of myself as a musician. And when I'm creating something, I just, it's very musical. And I have to sometimes like figure out, okay, is this a melody? Is this a, a bass line? Maybe it's something I should play on the keys. Maybe it's a guitar line. Is it a hook? Is it good enough to be a hook? Or is it, so I just am thinking in terms of musicality. And I did a soundtrack to the bass, to the book where I was, did some of my best, but that was like the first time out of the Go-Go's I really did a lot of bass playing. Cause when I'm not in the Go-Go's I generally play guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I was, I thought I did some great bass stuff on the soundtrack to my book. I was like actually impressed myself on some of that. Kathy, what went on with the band is very well documented, both in your book and in the documentary. And I'm sure you get asked all the time, oh, do you regret the fact that you guys did so many drugs and drank so much during, I'm not gonna ask you if you regret it. What I'm curious about is, have you ever imagined how that whole thing would have been had the five of you been clean? Like, would it even come close to the same type of path that the band took if we were talking about you guys all being living your lives clean all that time? Well, it's funny, like, like I was surprised when I got to be friends with Susan Quattro that she never was into drugs or drinking or anything. She was, she always, I mean, she's like in the 70s, in the midst of oh, yeah. the decadence and being, you know, coming out of the glam scene and everything. And I was like, how do you be a rock star in that era and that kind of music and not, and she was just like, it was always, always about being an entertainer and doing my job well. And um, I, so, it, and that made me wonder a lot, like, you know, what, what would it have been like? And I think we, we always worked so hard. I don't think it ever got in the way of our, of our, um, what we, um, what we accomplished. I don't think it got in the way of that. Sorry about my notifications. That's okay. You're you're poppy. You see, you're not famous, but look at that. It's every five minutes uh, someone wants you. Yeah, spam. <laughs> you make one contribution and you get <laughs> get a one mailing list, and that's it, right? Yeah. yeah. But so, I I think uh, yeah, it would have been really interesting. But the thing is, it kind of would have been a problem if like every if everybody would have had to be kind of cleaned up because mm-hmm. if only one person was oh, yeah. they would have been crazy you know so everybody would have had to have been that way and you know it just I don't tend to think like what if too much because it's kind of pointless um but I mean it's just it is what it is you know how is the dynamic when the go-go's get together today um it's really good. It's really uh, come a long way over the, I mean, it's decades now and we've had some pretty serious falling outs, like painful ones, um, betrayals and, and people really hurting each other, almost like, you know, families, you know, how sometimes families that like brothers, siblings won't even speak to each other. Um, but 
between um, me getting back in the band in 20, at the end of 2017, and because I was out of the band for four years and probably the ugliest, worst part of our, of our history, which would go into my second book for sure. Mm. Um, but when the musical got made on Broadway, that was one thing, but the documentary really, I think seeing everything you accomplished and being celebrated and lifted up in such a wonderful, beautiful way that Alison Elwood did with the documentary. I think it made something about seeing everything in a, like a 90 minute condensed thing. It really broke through a lot of um, any, gr any remaining grudges or leftover resentments seem to have broken off and, and been healed since in the last year. And it's, it's been pretty, pretty great. And there's always a chemistry always a chemistry there's something very that ignites when we're all together and the only thing that's missing and it's really hard to explain this to to people that aren't in bands but you know fans are very frustrated gogo's fans we're, we're a frustrating band they don't understand why we don't continue to make records and continue to write songs and continue and it's really hard to explain to someone that when you're young and you have no responsibilities and everybody, and you happen to get with five people who have the same amount of drive, the same dreams, the same ambition, the same willingness to do nothing else but that. And it's all pointing in one direction. That's a powerful entity. And on top of that, you have great songs and everything is just fitting together and it's all going in one direction. That's a, a really magical thing. And it doesn't, tend to last like that, you know? I mean, especially, you know, when we were apart and, and Belinda has a huge solo career, you know, and she enjoys it. She enjoys going out and doing her solo work as much as she enjoys going out and doing the go-go stuff. So you're asking people in very different places that now have lives and careers and families and pets and households and interests. Mm -hmm. They can't all be like they were when they were 23 where everything's the same energy pointing in the same direction. So it's, it's a little, um, sometimes I wish it could be something different, but I kind of don't because I let go of wishing it. I mean, sometimes I wish we could be showing you know, women that you can be in your 60s and still be super vital and making and creating and doing things. I think it would be a great message to send. But if the entity isn't all there wanting it, there's there's no way that one person or even two or even three or even four can want that. You know, when it's a band, it's pretty much everybody, unless you're a boss, unless you're like Prince, mm. you know, or something. But if you're a supposed, you know, democratic band, everybody has to want it the same way as, as much. And that's just not how it is anymore. And, but and, it would be cool. And you, so we do it individually. I, yes. Individually. Well, I try to I put that message out. Club Zero is a fantastic song. So, I mean, that was, it was really nice to hear something like that, that, you know, we hadn't heard before. So Yeah. I, and I was, it, was, it was a nightmare to write. Like, if, if we had to do a whole album, I don't know if we could have done it. I mean, that was an absolute nightmare really? to write that. Yeah, because we're in five different cities. Everything's like, you know, it's not like you're sitting down in a room and you play something and somebody goes, well, what if it does that? And you go, no, 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 da, da, da.
but imagine on email, somebody sends you a recording, you write back, oh, I don't like this part. And it's like solid and it's there and you're reading. Whereas in, in the room, you're just like, no, no, let's try something else. So everything is, um, it's a little more personal and weird when it's written down and and it's not on the fly like that. Everything's just passed around and scrutinized and oh, it was so hard. You know, Tom and I were talking when we finished reading the book, we had our own little book club on our podcast and we were talking about how, what a shame it is that the business side of things and the money and all that can really tear apart not only a band, but in some ways friendships. It's so great that you guys were able to kind of get back together. But I mean, you think about that in hindsight and as you're writing that stuff, aren't you thinking, man, why couldn't we just come up with an agreement right from the start, you know, 20% five ways and we just, you know, keep it that way. But then, you know, Tom and I are thinking, but then there's the other side of it, right? I mean, if you, you put all the work into writing the song, then maybe you deserve a little bit more. But man, it, it sucks that that has to, to do what it does to musicians and bands. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, it's, if it's a band where every element is what makes it, even if one person isn't the most famous, noticeable one, but maybe they're the person that makes just everybody happy. You yeah. know, it, everybody in the band is bringing something really special. I think it makes sense to fight and you're all working just as hard. You're all getting up in the morning. It's not like one part, it's not like the songwriters are going by themselves to the radio station trying to get the programmer to play the song. It's not like the right, just the writers are doing that. The whole band is doing it. The people that didn't write the song are pushing that song and working that song as hard as the people that wrote the song. So I've always thought what makes sense, and I didn't think of it, you know, until later, but, you know, let the songwriters have their writing credit because, you know, I would never want somebody's, I wouldn't want my name on a song I didn't write, but if I'm out there busting my ass for the song, mm -hmm. why shouldn't I get the same? So that's the way I look at it, but I don't think there's a right or wrong way. And everybody has to be happy if, if you're, like I wrote in the book, if the songwriters are miserable, and they don't want to write songs. And then where are you? You're without your best songwriters. Yeah. So it's like kind of just learning how to appreciate and recognize what people give. And my bands, you know, we share the money equally, but the songwriters keep their credit. Sure. And if somebody sure. leaves the band, they don't get a share. Like if you, or as long as you're in the band working the material, then, then you get a share, you know? And if you leave, then you don't. But whoever wrote the song always, as that so i think that's a smart way that's what i would advise if i was like if i was like a band therapist and bands came to me like how do we deal with this and that's, what I would, that's what i would say maybe that's it maybe i just invented a new job for I myself <laughs> well yeah that's what i was because that's that's a common theme that you know I, there's a lot of bands that have been kind of torn apart by that and there's one passage in the book in particular where you're talking about the songwriting process uh, for the third album where you know, the girls, you guys are actually arguing about which percentage oh, yeah. of each song is, is being written. And was, was there ever at the time, like, you know, did anybody just kind of stop and go, you know what, maybe there's something bigger here than the percentages, or was it just the machines in motion? And Yeah, you know? and I, I don't think, I think at that point, everybody was feeling like what's mine is mine, and 
and I'm not appreciated. I think, I think, uh, you know, it's a, and this is what I recognized and I didn't know how to fix it, but when your lead singer is unhappy, you know, that's not a good thing. The band is not doing anything without the lead singer. So I think it's pretty smart, especially if you have a singer that's delivering the goods and has got charisma and the voice to take you all the way to the top. It's, it's only makes common, it's only, it makes sense to try to make sure they're happy, you know? And that doesn't mean you, you know, give them more, you know, I, I wouldn't want to be in a band where, okay, the singer makes twice as much as everybody else. That's lame too. That's not a band. But at the same time, you want, people need to feel appreciated. I mean, that's one of the best things I learned from being in a band. And it's helped me be a better friend, a better girlfriend, a wife when I was married, a better mom. It's just people want to know that what they bring to the table, that you see it and that you appreciate it. That's all anybody wants. Kathy, you've been so gracious with your time. I I would hope that we could just ask you one more question because I'd be remiss if we didn't. Um, Just your ability to to beat addiction the way you did. And, um, you know, Tom and I are big, both mental health advocates. We both have had our battles over the years as well. But for you to go in and do what you did, uh, it's one thing to say, okay, I am an alcoholic. I got to get over that. But then you had the cocaine and, and all the others to be able to have to, was it, I mean, it's kind of hard to say this, but what was it more challenging knowing that that was not just alcohol, that it was alcohol, it was cocaine, it was whatever else you were doing at the time? Well, I'm, I, I was, my drug of choice was alcohol and anything I did that wasn't alcohol just enabled me to drink more. Like I wasn't into heroin because mm-hmm. I couldn't drink, you know, I wasn't into to downers, you know, I liked drinking. I liked, I liked wine and champagne and cognac. I liked to drink and I liked the way drinking felt. And if, if cocaine meant I could drink more and longer, that's what I like to do. So I, that, so that's why I primarily identify as an alcoholic. But having said that, I can see, I've seen, I've been sober next month. It'll be 32 years. Wow. And I can see very, Thanks. I can see very clearly, though, that I'm just like a freaking addict still. You know, I'm really weirdly ritualistic. I numb my feelings still with, you know, either food or sugar or shopping. I mean, I see addictive. I have, you know, addictive neural pathways that I still deal with. And, uh, you know, thank goodness alcohol isn't one of my demons, but I've got other ones I'd like to I'd like to. Whatever, you know, I don't know. I just think it'd be nice to be really comfortable with just being a human being. And I think it's not. I don't think any of us are that comfortable. I think our our pets are a lot happier being dogs and cats than we are being people. Welcome to 2020, right? Yeah, and I would like to feel a lot more comfortable in my skin and not, you know, need to numb those feelings as much. So, you know... It's, it's, a, it's a challenge, you know, but I think a lot of it is just seeing it and recognizing it. I mean, and I'll see, I'm getting stressed out and the next thing I know, like, where's the cookies, you know? And it's like, I, I'll at least go to like, you know, this is, 
you're eating because you're stressed out or because you're sad or because you're afraid or you're going to target to shop because of, you were just turning off. And so I think just being aware is the first stop and then the first, um, the first um, step, mm-hmm. stop. First step to stop. <laughs> so did that include like cigarettes, uh, cannabis, like everything? What's, oh, I think, I think most things people do to, to not feel their feelings mm-hmm. or it can be anything. I mean, I think. But for you personally, think, when, as far as your path to, you know, being clean, like, cause some would say, well, smoking could lead to drinking, you know, for a lot of people, they kind of, uh, kind of affiliate them with each other. I just don't want to smoke cause I want to live. I want to live a long, healthy life. So, um. You know, I've got a kid and I'm 62 next month and my daughter's 18 and I want to see her get married and I want to see her have kids and graduate. So I try, I want to be healthy. I want to take good care of myself. I want, I want to be me a lot longer and I want to write more books and make more music. And so that's kind of a big thing. It's like, I think when you're young, you don't think about it as much. You don't think about how much time you have, but you get to an age where you start realizing I've got this amount of time if I'm lucky. Mm-hmm. So how can I make the most of that? I don't want to be fucked up. Or excuse my language. No, it's I don't fine. Be, <laughs> you know what? I don't want to be fucked up. I don't want to be incapacitated. <laughs> I don't want to be unpresent. I want to be healthy and vital and productive, you know? Well, Tom and I really hope you write a second book, not only because we want to read it, but because we want to get you back on the show again, you know? Oh, uh, well, God, this has been awesome. It's been hanging out with a couple of friends. So oh, thank you. That's so cool. Much. By the way, we uh, our birthdays are just one day apart. Oh, are you the sixth or the eighth? Yeah, I'm the eighth, along with Elvis and David Bowie. Oh, I think there might love- might might be a few years difference between us. Yeah, yeah, but still, there's but, you yeah. know, I know. Done. <laughs> Absolutely. Listen, Kathy, again, thank you so much, uh, first of all, for your incredible contributions to music over the years and for sharing this incredible story, which, you know, for both Tom and myself really resonated with us and so much so that we were both very, uh, very much looking forward to being able to talk to you about this. Well, that makes me so happy. I mean, I feel like I succeeded in what I wanted to do then, and I that's all I wanted was to write a really good book that people liked. So thank you. Yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely captivating for anybody listening that hasn't heard it. Um, it's got absolutely everything. It's got, it's got drama. It's got, uh, you know, heartbreaking stories, but in the end, I, you know, the one word that I got out of it would be, would be hope. Um, you know, that I hope to keep going. Um, it, if, if we could end, maybe if you had one word you had to bring the book down to that you hope people take away from it, what might it be? Mm, that's a good one. Hope, resilience. Um, yeah, resilience. You no, know, just kind of, I don't know if I could do it in one word. I'll have to think about <laughs> it. There he is, Kathy Valentine of the Go Go's Tom. I don't know about you, but I could have continued that conversation for at least another hour. Yeah. Oh, man. And especially after reading the book, there's so many things that I wanted to ask her. That was like, I, I've i never prepared, I guess, in terms of time spent. I've never prepared for an interview this much, right? Like reading. The, I've never read a book that fast. That's the thing. I read, I read the book. We both watched the movie. It was such movie. a good book. Exactly. And it, it yeah, like. 
best book I've read in a while. I've already recommended uh, to my wife to read it. I've, I will recommend to everybody that I know if they're a music fan or if they're like a human interest story fan or if they just want a really good, you know, celebrity-packed, crazy story. Yeah, we didn't even get into her at times hanging out with John Belushi. Yeah, or, like, or you know, Bob Dylan giving her a song. Yeah, like, right? And then, and then she just... lost the song Bob Dylan gave her. I know, but, I know. Yep. I mean, yeah. Well, you know what that means, Tom? That means we've got to get her back on the show again sometime. Yeah, oh yeah, let's hope so, absolutely. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, having uh, Kathy Valentine of the Go Go's on. And remember, uh, we uh, have the whole thing on Zoom, and we'll try to get uh, bits and pieces of it out and uh, looking at uploading the entire uh, conversation up on Zoom is on uh, YouTube. So stay tuned for that. Mm -hmm. And uh, as, as Tom and I get more comfortable with uh, all the production that's involved in this show, <laughs> the, uh, the better we'll get uh, our content out for you, our wonderful listeners. But we do want to thank you once again. We do appreciate you coming here each and every week and checking out our show. And more than anything, thank you for making us a part of your week. That's all the time we have for today's show. Until next time, keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. I'm Casey Kasem.